We're starting verse 10, um, and uh, as we kind of kind of wait for that, you know, Paul had, uh, you know, they made their second, uh, mis- his, his second missionary journey um, with Silas and, and visited the previous churches, felt called to go to Macedonia, which is the area north of Greece, which brought them to Philippi. Uh, they were thrown in jail. Um, and uh, then released, and after they were released, and you know, we talked about the, the miracle that happened with that, with, uh, as far as you know, the jailer coming to faith in Christ. But after they were released, they were asked to uh, leave the city because they were causing turmoil. So they left. Um, they uh, didn't leave right away. They weren't in a hurry, um, but they left nonetheless, made sure they said their goodbyes, encouraged the church, and then went on their way. And they, they made their way to Thessalonica, and uh, again, they're following this, this road, the Via Ignatia, which is uh, a road that goes, uh, a paved road, um, a Roman road that would have gone straight across the heart of, uh, from, from um, east to west, so it's for you guys, east to west, across Greece, um, uh, that would have led them to the Adriatic Sea, could have taken a boat across there, and then there was another highway that led straight to Rome. So it was kind of a, a pathway uh, that... You know that they are following, and so they they go from uh, Thessalonica, um, and when they're there in Thessalonica, uh, a few weeks they're asked to to talk about Christ, and uh, then they get a similar response that they found in other cities that uh, the Jews did not were jealous of the crowds that were happening. Um, they tried to drag them out of their house, but. The house that they went to, or supposedly that they were staying at, they weren't there. And instead, Jason, uh, who, who owned the house, was dragged out, brought before the magistrates, and um, they were uh, asked to put up a pledge that you know Paul and his companions would leave the city and cause no further disturbance. So that's where we we uh, we left off in verse nine. It says, "When they had taken me, the magistrates had taken money as security from Jason and the rest. They let them go." And the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. And so we'll pick that up in just, just a second, that uh, Paul and Silas uh, took off um, in a little bit more haste to leave the situation they were in in Thessalonica um, and, and head to a new city. As we kind of come to this new city, um, it's one that you know, uh, usually is a prominent place. I think normally when we think of some of the other places, um, especially on the first missionary journey, you know, if I ask you what happened in Iconium, uh, you might be hard-pressed to pause and be like, well, what did happen in Iconium? Or what happened in Lustra? What happened there? What happened in Derby? Um, there were kind of cities that you know maybe generalities of, oh, yeah, that was the city that he was stoned in, or, oh, that was where they worshipped him as Zeus and Hermes, uh, and, uh, you know, and then this, this big to-do happened, or, oh, no, that was a place where all these um, disciples kind of... Uh, were cropped up, um, but when you think about Berea, I think most most of us, even though there, it's it's a short account, we don't know. Um, you know, there's not a lot that that is said about this. We know about the Bereans because it's uh, um, a group that uh, we should, as Christians, identify with. And before we kind of dive into that, you know, I want to want to talk about um, just kind of this this idea of what the Bereans are known for, um, as we will get into that that part. But um, how many of you guys? are fact-checkers. Like, what's that? No, no, no point, don't point fingers. So, <laughs> how many of you guys are fact-checkers? Like, you see a story that's based on a true story, 
and you're like, how, how based on a true story is this true story? Any, any of you guys like that? So um, even after now movies, now with the internet, you know, after a movie is concluded, that's usually the first place I go. Maybe while the credits are rolling, I'm usually like, did that really happen that way? I'm okay if it's completely fictionalized, but as soon as I see, like, based on a true story, for some reason, I want to fact check and see, like, exactly what was based on a true story. So, for those that are like that, why are we like that? Why are we like that? What's that? You're over that? What'd you say? The best way to be. The best way to be. You don't necessarily trust the fact Okay, so you fact check the fact checker? <laughs> okay. I mean, we're ripe in political season, so it's not necessarily like, you know, so it's kind of, a, kind of one of those things like, you know, movies, whatever. Um, what's that? You're jumping to the punchline, so just wait, Eric. Just wait, Eric. But yes, that's true. That's true. That's where, that's where we'll get, right? Um, but even, you know, uh, typically more so with a presidential election, um, but you see, even see it now where, where candidates give speeches, you know, usually like the day after you'd read fact-checking, but now they have, you know, in uh, almost try to do immediate or as, as responsive fact-checking as possible. Um, so is that, is that important? Is it important to get our facts straight? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Why? Well, unless you're a postmodernist. Unless you're a postmodernist. Okay. What do you mean by that for those that, that are like, what does he mean by that? Well, the, the only absolute truth that they have is that truth can't be known absolutely. And that is an absolute. Right? <laughs> so that ends up being... Can I jump ahead again? What's that? Can I jump ahead again? Jump ahead again, Eric? You know, I'm I'm just your guide on this uh, this tour. So, do you have anything you want to say? No. Okay. Okay. So you know, we would all say that we would all say it's important to fact check. It's all important to uh, you know to know to get our story straight. But sometimes you know, some some for instance, for those maybe on the the after you've watched a movie based on a true story, if you don't fact check, why? It's not true. It's not true. You just assume it's not true, or? Well, you assume it's not true, but you didn't check the facts to see what is true, what's not true, because based on a true story, there's only some parts that are true, not everything. Okay, okay. It might be a good movie. You don't want to ruin it. It might be a good movie. I do have to say that, that it can't, have you ever, has a movie ever been ruined when you actually, like, check the facts and you're like, oh, that didn't happen the way they said it happened? I know some of you guys are, and you fact checkers are like, like, it actually, it's one of those things that, that if you really just wanted to enjoy a movie, you know, you just would turn it off and be like, oh, that was, you know, I felt good. But then sometimes, when you fact check, you're like, oh, wait a minute, that didn't even happen that way. There was actually a, a recent movie that my wife and I watched that actually, you know, now, and people, some people are like, that was such a good movie. And I'm almost like, I try to stay out of it. But I'm, I'm usually, but I'm so provoked to be like, why would you think it was so good? Did you know that that actually didn't happen? You know, so, but I try to get my little snooty nose out of there. What's that? Yeah, don't say, yeah, don't say there. But, you know, that happened the other day, that happened the other day in, in the teacher's lounge that, you know, as I was sitting there doing work, too, were like, that was such a great movie. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I was like, Lies, lies. No, it's not all lies. It's just some, some, some details were exaggerated to make, to make the film better. I'm not going to tell you. You can ask me in private. 
<laughs> you can ask me in private. But there was that, you know, but it, ha- it, happened, it happens the other day. There was a, a, somebody who came and spoke at our school, and I said, I was sharing this with somebody else, and he's like, I don't think that was true. And I didn't, I, I didn't know how to, like, defend it, you know, because it could have been, you know, this, somebody's, somebody's ministry could be based on, you know, a lie and just propagate it, right? You know, but, but how, would, how would I know? How do we typically, how do we typically try, to, try to find the facts? Which Eric is now skeptical of. <laughs> for a good reason. For a good reason. I don't think it's to say... Depends on how old you are. Depends on how old you are. Yeah. All right. Let's just say, what, what, uh, how, how do you... What's that? Like Wikipedia. Oh, well, that's like a Bible. Okay. But you go to the source documents. You go to the source documents. Okay. If you read a, you know, if you, if you uh, see a movie based on somebody's life, you know... How would you how would you check the facts? You know, interview all the people involved. It's a great way to great way to do it. What's that? Read the bibliography. Read the bibliography. Are you, if you if you are saying like if you're reading a paper or yeah, you can't even if you go to Wikipedia you can see where it was cited and then click and then it can it can bring you to an article. But we do live now in an age where even like the sources of facts right are now even mistrusted. Um, you know, for good reason in some sense, in some sense, there are some, you know, uh, there may be a little bit um, uh, hyper-anxiety, you know, over like, you can't trust anybody, because then you, then, you then you get to post-modernism, which is like, no, no source is trusted. You can't believe anything you see, and then, then can you even trust your own senses? And so, um, I don't, you know, I don't know. Even if you interviewed all the people, how do you know that they weren't all in on it, you know? And, and so, that becomes some of the... Uh, you have to come back to reason, right, and understand what you hear, filter it through, uh, you know, a particular lens, and then try to do your best. Now, if, you, if you're suspicious of something, how, how should you proceed? Cautiously, okay. If you're suspicious about something, if you, like, say you heard something or you saw something and you're like, I don't know, I just don't know if it's true. I want it to be true, but I'm not sure if it's true. Where do you, where do you think, what, how, how do you, how, what, what position does that put you in? Skeptic. Well, you are skeptical, right? So you are, you are, you are in, that, in that skeptic. So as a skeptic, would you promote it? As a skeptic, would you debunk it? It depends on if you're an earnest-minded skeptic. If you're an earnest-minded skeptic. Are you reading ahead? You're reading ahead, so. <laughs> okay, so we'll... We'll, we'll dive. We'll dive into that because that I think it's, that ends up being being a particular you know question. And so some of us are just you know fact minded, and some of us you know. And it really depends. Like I said, you know, there are things that um, I may be more interested in. You know, maybe it's movies. You know, that I care about, and somebody's like, just enjoy the story. Who cares? You know, where somebody else might wonder whether you know are these ingredients really the ingredients in there? It could be. You know, what is? I, don't, I won't even. There's certain hot button topics, right? You know, that, that you could say certain medicines or certain things, right? That people have different opinions on because there's this mistrust sometimes of people. And, and for valid reasons, right? Because are all, should all people be trusted? Does everyone, you know, does everyone have other people's best interest in mind? No? All right. So, so, we, so we know that to be the case. And so sometimes we proceed with caution in that sense, we should also proceed with caution in, in, how, we, uh, in, in um, how we proceed even further. So we're going to go look at the diligent. The diligent, 
um, is who we find in Berea. We're actually going to see two different people, uh, the Bereans, and then we're going to see the Athenians. Uh, we won't really get to uh, a lot of depth in the Athenians. There's more to that that will come the next week and maybe the, po- the following week. But we're going to see the, the diligence who we see in Berea. So verse 10, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul and Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. And the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea. But Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. So, why do you think, starting out in this verse, why do you think Paul and Silas left by night? Is that the best time to travel? I mean, some of us travel by night. You get there quicker, right? You don't get in traffic, construction delays, things like that. Some get paid by traveling by night. True, true. But for the most part, that's why there is more traffic during the day, because most people are traveling during the day. And why is that? Why is it better to travel during the day than traveling at night? You see better, right? Less, uh, less chance of an accident, less chance of maybe falling asleep at the wheel, less chance of, you know, whatever the reasons are, it's safer, we would say, to travel during the daytime. Is that true back then as well? Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. So, uh, what's that? No streetlights. No streetlights. Yeah, just, just traveling. You know, they are on, a, like I said, a paved road that would have been well-traveled, which would have also, you know, sometimes could have been protected a little bit more, but there's definitely stretches that they're walking um, that they wouldn't have seen that. So why leave by night immediately? Because what happened? Yeah, so there, there's something that, that when they left Thessalonica, remember, they weren't necessarily, uh, they weren't apprehended, but somebody close to them was apprehended, uh, the, the person that they uh, perhaps were staying with. Or, you know, again, we don't know who Jason was, but the likelihood is that they were staying with Jason or just that he was associated with them in some way, that he was dragged out of his house with some other brothers and brought before the authorities. And then Jason had to do what? He had to put up money, right, say, like, everything will be fine. So the brothers were like, just get out now, okay? Uh, Don't come and encourage us. Don't come and, you know, say your goodbyes like in Philippi. Uh, But it's probably best that that you guys get on your way. and so they did. And so they left by night uh, and traveling westward down, down this road to the next place that they're presumably going to. We don't know if they have, again, a plan in mind. Uh, Luke doesn't, doesn't share that. Like, this is their destination. Uh, we just know that they, they were called to Macedonia, and now they're through Macedonia and getting pulled into to Greece. Like, maybe they're going to Rome, but uh, we'll talk about that a little bit, a little bit later. Um, and so... Uh, they left, though, kind of in a, you know, not, not having everything wrapped up. But we see just it was Paul and Silas. So presumably if Paul and Silas are li- leaving, then who maybe is staying behind? Which one of their companions? Timothy. Timothy, yeah. So it's perhaps that Timothy stayed behind. And there's also a good reason to think that as well. 
It's hard to kind of build, you know, we'll see in a little bit later, after he leaves Berea, then he wants Silas and Timothy to come see him, even though Timothy didn't leave with him uh, at this time. And then later, if you read uh, in 1 Thessalonians 3, that he longed to send, to go back there, and he sent Timothy back there. So perhaps Timothy was with them, but we'll kind of straighten out some of those details a little bit later. Uh, it also helps kind of show some background, especially as we're going through these two letters in, in Thess- the Thessalonians, um, what they were dealing with and why they had maybe some misinformation or why, you know, they were curious, like, is this the day of the Lord? Um, and what they were really leaving behind. You know, they left in a rush, but they were also leaving uh a group of people that were adamantly opposed <laughs> to um, their leaders and ran them out of town, and now they're left behind. We saw that before, uh, talked about that on Paul's first missionary journey as they were kind of pushed out of town from one place to the next, what they were really leaving behind and some of the animosity that they would be facing. Would have been the same thing there in Thessalonica um, in this large city uh, in the, in that area. So they went to, made their way to Berea. So it's all also on the, uh, Ignatian way, which is a route that, you know, would take you, would go from Philippi that, that they had taken to Thessalonica would take them to Berea. It's about 50 miles from Thessalonica, which is uh, about two and a half days. You know, if you travel on foot by about 20 miles a day, um, depends on how quickly you can go. Better roads means a little bit quicker, but that's 20 miles is, is, is a, a pretty good pace to make it there. So it would have taken a couple days, even leaving at night. You know, we don't know where they stopped along the way. Luke doesn't say any of that, but they make their way and they get there to um, the Olympian uh, mountain ranges. And it's on the eastern side of the Olympian uh, mountain range, um, kind of a remote area being kind of a mountain mountainous area. Um, uh, but Berea would have been, um, at one point, it was like a 20-year period that one of the four regions of Macedonia, when they were kind of four districts, Berea would have been a capital of that area. So kind of a prominent area, um, not as big as Thessalonica. Remember, Thessalonica was the second largest um, city in, uh, in Greece and still is today. Um, but that's where they, they make their way uh, and find their way. One of the place, reasons they may stop there as well Again, as you go along major trade routes, uh, major highways, you see larger cities um, because of trade. Um, and because of that, uh, they also see that there's a synagogue there. And so that might be one reason that we again see where they stop, what they're doing, um, and some of the things that are said. And so, uh, so where did he go when they went to Berea? I kind of just said it. They went to the synagogue. Which means that there is at least you know a population of Jews that are able to meet and to worship there, um, and so as is custom, as is tradition, as it said, and when he went to Thessalonica, they went there. Now, when he went to the synagogue, Luke uses some interesting terms to describe uh, the Jews there. What, what's the term that he he describes in verse eleven about the Jews that were there in that synagogue? Yeah. So there. What'd you say? Fair-minded. Fair-minded is, is that what your version says? Or you? Yeah, so fair-minded, noble-minded, um, all of these things are, are, are good. The, the actual term is well-born or high-born, um, but it would have been a phrase that would have been understood as fair, reasonable, um, and uh, you know, if you kind of think of somebody who is maybe of noble birth that is separated from the rabble that they just left in Thessalonica who, you know, again, instigated a riot and dragged somebody out of their house, um, these Jews seem to have a different 
attitude, a different tone. And so they were more noble, is how Luke describes them, or at least how it's translated for us, and that's a good, good way to kind of think about that. But again, fair-minded um, is, is a good term as well. Uh, how does, how being described like that, what are some things that, that mark them as Paul is sharing with them the gospel? What, is it, what does it say that the first thing that they did? Okay, so they received the word with eagerness. And that word eagerness is kind of interesting. Um, uh, the root word to that word is the same word as wrath or fury, which is kind of interesting because eagerness, uh, when they, there's a prefix attached to it, it has not necessarily the opposite, but it is ready and attentive and um, you know, kind of an idea of like ready for battle, uh, being excited, um, but you kind of see with that root, that, that fury, that wrath, sometimes that word can be translated as passion, um, that not only did they receive the word, did they take this word in, but that idea about eagerness, that they were like excited. They were excited to hear what was being said. And so when Paul is speaking, it's interesting, um, this last week when I, I spoke at uh, um, our, our kids' elementary school chapel, and somebody said, you know, how did it go? And you're like, I don't know. I mean, you know, <laughs> I didn't do an altar call, you know, so I can't measure it by those, you know, metrics. But it's like, how did it go? Like, I don't know. They responded, you know. But some, you look over at some kids and they're like this. And you look it over like the little, you know, they have preschoolers to fifth grade, you know. So, they, you know, some kids are like antsy and the teacher's like, quiet down, you know. And you're like. Obviously, I've lost that group over there, you know. And then some kids are like, you know, raising their hand, you know. And so you, you've got like even the mix in, in a particular group. You know, it's, it's always like, it's interesting whenever you teach somewhere, you know, preach to a group. It's like, how did it go? I mean, you're like, I don't know. I mean, it's, it feels like an internal question. Like, I felt good, you know. I don't know. But like, how do they, you know, like, I haven't had the fact where somebody like rushed to the stage and was like, thank you, you know. <laughs> I have had early preaching where they've rushed and been like, hey, do you know that the thing that you said there, you know, like, ready? <laughs> like, ah, oh, sorry. Hit your hot bush issue, yeah. Anyway, so, um, but, but they were, it seems to be like, whatever Paul was saying, like this eagerness, like, you know, like, who knows, like, well, what do you mean by that? What do you know? You know, like, so they're receiving the word with eagerness and attentiveness. And so this is probably a place that Paul, like, after being, you know, again, rushed out, out of Thessalonica, and again, they were, they were receiving the word. They wanted several weeks to hear him out, you know, and so the, the crowds presumably grew larger, um, but you're seeing this eagerness, and so it's probably, again, you know, the Lord is like just encouraging him, he and Silas, as they're going there, and so that's the first thing. They receive this word with like eagerness, passion, excitement, um, intensely interested in, in this, so it's not a passive or casual kind of like, yes, let us hear more, and we'll see that you know, with the next place that, that they go to. Um, what's the second description? That not only receive the word with eagerness, but what else? Yes, they examine the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So not only did they hear it, and they were excited to hear it, what Paul was saying. Again, let's, let's go back. Um, we kind of had to, had, you know, I, he says that what he, what he discussed in Thessalonica. Do you guys remember what the content of probably his message was? And we went back to then, you know, I described that he said the same things, but you actually have a detailed description of how he went about 
describing these things when he was in Antioch, Pisidia, which is, again, centers of where there are Jewish synagogues. So what does he say when he goes to the synagogue? You guys remember what are the things that he says when he typically goes to a synagogue, or at least we, we kind of understand these things? What's the first thing? So first, yeah, the Christ had to suffer and die. Okay, The Christ had to suffer and die. And then the second thing is that what? This Christ had to what? Raise, yeah, be raised again. If you go back in uh, Acts chapter 13, you can read when he goes to Antioch, Pisidia, how he kind of goes about reasoning through that. And then the last link that he makes is what? That this Messiah is, is Jesus. Yeah. Not only like, hey, let me tell you about this Messiah, that he has to die, he has to suffer, he has to be, he, he has to be raised from the dead according to the scriptures. But I'll tell you, all these things can be applied to this man Jesus, because this man Jesus is this Christ. And so making those things and linking those things together for them to understand. Now in the previous places, usually he went to the synagogue and it was like, come back next week and then speak more. But for them, we see that this is daily, right? They're wanting to know daily um, more information. So what did you mean by that? Why did you say that? Now I read here, now how, do, you know, how do you understand this? And so it's something, because Jesus was always having to talk to the Pharisees and saying, have you not read? Did you not understand? And remember, Jesus is always like kind of teaching them and correcting them. Or it seems like the Bereans, any of these misunderstandings, they're trying to work out. Like, well, what do you mean by that? Or what do you, you know, understand with that? And so with eagerness, they're receiving what they said, what Paul has said, and kind of coupled with that, they're examining the scriptures to see if what Paul is saying is true. Right? Because you could have anybody come into town, and the Greeks were used to this, to have people that uh, were orators that come into town. They would usually get paid to speak to crowds. Um, and really, they were kind of speaking out of their own you know, philosophies. I remember that was hard as a, as a young Christian where I would read a book, and I remember you know, if you read a book and it's like the 10 essential things you, know, you need to know as a Christian. And I always felt like, why are there 10? You know, like, how did they come up with that? You know, where are they getting this number from? Um, and I don't know. I was like, as, as you know, I was young and having to, uh, you know, I had a job where I would go and I would speak to, to different groups and, and have to kind of present material. And I was like, well, how are they coming up with these numbers? You know, um, what if there were 12 things and we're missing two of the essential parts, you know? And so some of it is just a rhetorical, you know, significance, right? But some, you know, they just kind of pull things out of their head. You know, these are the five essential things that you need to know. Well, why only five? Because really in the end, they're like, I don't know. I just thought five was good. What's that? And they all start with R. They all start with R. Yeah, that was the other thing, too. That was, that was when I started getting to, to that. It was like, man, they're able to like, you know, everything starts with the same letter. <laughs> some are forced in there some are forced but um but they want to know if those things are true especially as an orator comes in and is just saying hey this is this is what you need to do this is how you need to live your life right and we're we're bombarded by those things like you can just you know who should you vote for and why and somebody can go up and they talk and say like you can vote for me because i'll do this this and this and you're like oh, okay yeah, that makes sense and the next person come in and they'll it's like a high school you know Voting for president, like, I'm going to come in, I'm going to do this, this, and this. And, you know, eventually you're like, I don't think they can do those things, you know. We're going to go to a three-day school week, right? And you're like, I don't, we can't, he can't, he doesn't have that power, right? <laughs> but people come into town and saying those things are true. So Paul comes in, he's just another guy coming into town and, you know, sharing in the synagogue about this Messiah. Obviously, this is like, 
you know, information that probably wasn't um, expounded on too much in the synagogue about the Messiah needing to die, especially needing to rise again. Because usually when it was talked about a Messiah, it was to overthrow the Roman overlords and, and to bring Jews back into power and, and that this Messiah would be a conqueror. But Paul's like, hey, but you also know that conqueror has to die and that conqueror has to, you know, be raised from the dead. And they're like, I don't think we've really spent that much time talking about that. So when Paul talks about that, you know, it's an exciting idea, but they're going to want to make sure that it's true. It's true. And where do they go? They go to their source of authority. And we all can kind of, you know, you can, all, you can then make a determination about what a person's sense of authority is by asking them, where do, you know, what are your sources? Where do you go for truth? And you kind of take things with a grain of salt. You might go to Wikipedia, you know, if you want to, like, fact check something that, you know, may be common knowledge. But if it's something that is, like, you know, about something, an important matter, I don't know if I'm going to go there for, you know, the resources that I want. You might get information to kind of help illustrate. You might, but you're always going to want to come back and say, what is my foundation? What is my grounding? What is my understanding? And for the Jews, it was their scripture, now, for somebody who doesn't have a scripture, they become untethered, right? You become untethered to, you know, some sort of source. Now, for some, that's freeing, right? To say, like, well, I don't have, like, to be enslaved by some sort of book, right? But if that's what you think about the scriptures, if it's just a book um, about the way that you need to live your life, then you've kind of mis- misunderstood exactly, you know, what... Scripture is. It's God's revelation about who He is, about how He wants man to act, about how we can never act, you know, according to how He would desire on our own, and that we need a Savior. And so when we see that kind of the big picture, then we can then balance all these things out and understand who God is and His plan of salvation. We can understand about the Messiah. Did He have to die? Well, Scripture says He had to die. You know, David talked about him having to die and about him being raised from the dead and that Jesus would be the fulfillment of those things. And so as Christians, it's important for us to really to dive in, to be eager and to, you know, want to know things about how God desires us to live. So there's a lot, though, you know, probably over the years, as, as we've all grown in our understanding, as we've all grown in, in uh, you know, in doctrine, there's plenty of things that we could probably say, I've been studying it for years, but I don't have a full grasp on. And why is that? Why will we not know everything? <laughs> We're not God. We're not God, right? And even in our understanding, sin sometimes gets in the way of, of truly understanding exactly particulars about the Christian faith. But about the way of salvation and about how God wants us, how we can be reconciled towards God, that is clear. And that is echoed all over the Old and the New Testament. And so we, if we think about this, you know, we look at the Bereans because, you know, one, they were eager to hear the Scripture, and two, they also then examine the scripture to see if the scripture was true. Now, we could say that, you know, they may, if they had a skeptical bent, then, you know, they were eager to hear more, but they dismissed it a lot. You know, we don't see that Luke describes that, and we'll actually see things to actually counter that. Then I mean, it could almost be discouraging, you know, if that were to be the case, right? Because there's a lot of people that, you know, you might get in conversations with, and they're curious about the Bible, but then 
they dismiss everything, right? They're skeptical. They're like, nah, that, that can't be true, or I don't think that's the case. You know, they're not necessarily examining the scripture, but they just kind of dismiss it altogether. Then the Bereans, if that were the case, then we wouldn't want to follow them. But many of them, verse 12, believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. So Luke describes them as noble-minded, that this is something that should be uh, characteristic of all people um, in wanting to, to understand this. And then the response to that, they responded uh, to truth with placing themselves under that truth and believing in the gospel. The gospel. So who is, who's described as believing? Okay, all right, so as many of them believed, right, so many of who would we assume? So probably some Jews, uh, because, it, you know, specifically they're the, they're the um, focus, right? The Jews were no, more noble. Many of them believed with not a few Greek women, um, as well as men. So the way that, that it's phrased by Luke here, at least in the ESV, um, what's that? Is that... Uh, is that that um, there seems to be a, a, a large population of leading women and then probably a few leading men that have uh, come over and um, have believed what Paul was saying. And so, uh, as we kind of pause there, we can even stop in our own lives and even, even reflect. Why, you know, maybe we'll just kind of, maybe we won't get too personal. Um, are there ever times in our own lives that, you know, that, we read the scripture with eagerness, and then there are some times in our lives where we read the scripture with, you know, maybe less than that. Less than that. I would say like kind of a casual, you know, reading. Um, if we don't have that eagerness, I would say that most of us probably would desire that every time that we read the Bible, it's like new again. Right? Instead of like, I've read this 20 times, or I've, you know, I know this story, that we would, we would read about it. And you know, with with an eagerness, how can we how can we cultivate that eagerness? How can we um, get that eagerness back if if we get through that? What's that? Pray. What would, what would you say the focus of prayer would be? To change us. To change, to change us. Okay. What do you, and and not only that, or maybe coupled with that, what do you think? Probably the simplest thing could be in our prayers to God would be what. Yeah, fill us with his, his wisdom and knowledge. And I would just say, even pray for that eagerness to come back. You know, just be specific. Lord, I, you know, today I'm not feeling it, right? I've woken up, I'm not, you know, I'm not feeling it today, Lord. Can, can, Lord, just, I pray, Lord, that you give me this eagerness, right? To focus, too. What's that? Just to pray for focus. I, I think it was Thursday morning I was reading, and I realized I got, you know, 8, 10, 12 verses in, and I just had the thought, I don't have a I mean, not a clue. Yeah. And so I just stopped and I, I asked the Lord, I said, I, I, you know, verbally, please help me to focus on what I'm reading. Yeah. And then I started reading again. And I mean, it's an amazing thing what sin has done to our minds that, you know, I could tell you something stupid I watched on TV three years ago. It's as clear as I'm sitting here. Yeah. You know, and he asked me what I read in the scripture yesterday morning. You know, why is that? 
Yeah, I think I think simple things, right? You know, just Lord help, help me. My heart, my heart's not in it, and I want to be in it. Understand, like eagerness is really how we should come at this. And if we're not, um, it's not like well, we just all right, just give up. Just Lord help me, help me to be eager. Help me to see like it's not just the next reading, you know, on my passage list. It's just not the next thing. It's is Lord help help discover what it is that you want me to to understand what it is that you want to convey. I mean, one of the most, like, the, the, the best things about teaching through Acts, especially kind of at the rate that we're going, and we could slow down, but I, I want to make sure we're kind of going through, you know, uh, at, a, at a reasonable pace, is that when you slow down, though, like, you then stop and see things that, that you, you, you know, you might not have picked up. And to ask questions, Lord, like, you know, and, and that's why I ask questions of you guys, like, well, who was it next? And it might be obvious, well, it says it was the Jews. You know, well, why do you, why, like, sometimes it's like, well, why did Luke say that? And, you know, sometimes you read a little too much into it. You know, I don't know, just because he just said that. I mean, you could say that. But he, he's saying things and not saying other things. And so there are times that, that even though we can't know the mind of Luke, we can try to, to capture that. Like, well, why did you not say this? Or why, you know, where was Paul going? I mean, we can never answer that question for certain. But we could say, well, if he's going down this route, you might say, well, he might be headed over here, and there's other places in Scripture that would support the reason that maybe he's headed this way. We can't be dogmatic on those things, so you know those are the fact-checking things you want to you want to try to figure out. Um, but we try to understand as much as possible where they were going, what they were trying to do, because it's not always clear. Paul is giving a history, and he's not saying like, well, then the next place they wanted to go was this, but. You know, Paul forgot his keys, and so they, you know, were delayed, and I don't know, whatever. You know, so, um, so, so we want to ask as many questions about the scripture, like the Bereans. Why? Because the Lord will help, you know, help us see in those details, um, you know, what's going on. Help place us in that context. Help us understand a little bit more. But also, we don't want to get too wrapped up in the the details and see like. The whole way, God has this has His plan, and He's He's uh, getting them where He needs to be, setting up the churches He wants to set up, and uh, for the reasons that He wants to set up. It's amazing, you know. Like He never goes to Corinth, you wouldn't have the letters to the Corinthians, and if you never had the letters to the Corinthians, you would have certain doctrine that would just be missing, right? You would have First Corinthians fifteen, which talks about um, you know basic glorification and what the resurrection is going to look like, and certain things that if He never had to fix their errant thinking about what they believed on certain things, we wouldn't have that information, right, that we can rejoice in and say, well, how do we know? Because Paul said it, right? Because it's scripture. And so he, you know, if, if we didn't understand the things that the, the Thessalonians were going to through, we wouldn't understand a lot of the bigger picture about what God is doing. And so some sense, you know, Paul wants him to go to certain places and plant certain churches for particular reasons. We don't know much about the Bereans. After this, we only see the, the name once that a Berean, he stops by on his third missionary journey, but not much more is said after that. Um, and so, but we see that kind of an attitude that we should have. Well, what do you, uh, so what happened to their ministry? Daily, they're seeking them out, they're eager, there's this passion, they want to know if these things are true. Many of them are believing, some prominent people in this city are believing, everything is great, verse 13, what happened? Yeah, 50 miles away, back in Thessalonica, you know, word got to them, what's that? The Jews 
The Jews who didn't care to check it out of, of the scriptures. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, right? Spoiled by the rabble of the Thessalonians, right, who stirred up the crowds back there, heard about what was going on here, and wanted to spoil what's going on over there. I mean, again, Luke's not characterizing like what their thoughts were out of concern for that population, that maybe he's poisoning the youth over there. You know, whatever. We don't get that. All we know is that, you know, this ministry that's flourishing the, the Jews 50 miles away want to spoil it, right? You see the attitude, right? I'm going to walk several days on foot in order to go and make sure that, you know, what's being said there, like, doesn't stand. And so we see kind of the lengths that Satan will go to influence and encourage, you know, other people to put a stop to what other people believe. You see that all the time, you know, even when somebody's like, um, you know, uh, open-air witnessing. I think you see that probably the most, right? Because it doesn't happen that often. But you see somebody doing that, uh, preaching, you see all these other people that are like, you need to stop him. You, need, you know, it was like, well, just keep walking. If you don't believe, you know, there's obviously a group of people that are, are interested in what's being said. Why are you so interested in stopping, you know, you know this person from, from talking? Um, you know. Yeah. You see that openly, right? Because we know, right, that it's not just about, you know, a war, a war of, of ideas, like, well, I just don't believe that's true, and I think I'm concerned with all these people who are hearing it. Most people aren't concerned about other people, right? <laughs> They're concerned about the fact that this guy's saying something to these crowds, and a lot of people are believing it, and this person's not, you know, is not, doesn't believe what that person's saying. So what are they? They are, Luke uses this word a lot. In Thessalonica, he said that when the crowds grew up, the, uh, rose up, that the people were jealous, right? That's really what it comes down to, right? I mean, if you, you know, were like, well, believe what you want to believe, you know? Like, I'm fine to believe what I want to believe. So, but some people are adamant about, about stopping others. And we see that happening in Thessalonica. It is emotion that is being, that is being uh, overridden or overriding reason as the Bereans want to examine the scripture, the Thessalonians, you know, they just want to stop what's going on. And so what was the result? What was the result? What's that? Paul had to flee again. Yep. Immediately they sent, right? So that's how, that's how verse 10 started out. Immediately they sent Paul and Silas away by night, and immediately they sent Paul off on his way to the sea. But Silas and Timothy remained there. So before, before it could get any further, it was like, hey, I think, I think you need to, if Paul, if you just move on, before we get to this boiling point, before like all of us have to leave, if you leave, things might, might die down. The Thessalonians, you know, probably also are targeting you specifically. And so, um, so, uh, Silas and Timothy remained there. So now at some point we see Timothy with them, um, but Timothy uh, and Silas are remaining in Berea. Um, so because Paul goes and leaves Silas and Timothy, it shows, just like similar to Thessalonica, that they're not quite ready to leave yet. You know, they're, they're not quite ready to be done. But Paul, again, decides his best to move on, and the brothers there decide, hey, it's best that you, you move on before something else happens. Again, Paul has this, uh, you know, 
has has this knack for agitating crowds, um, you know, and and stirring people up with not, the truth. It's not Paul. It's not Paul. It's the word. It's the word. True. Yeah. Who has experience in open air. Yeah. Because yeah. I've been there to watch, you know. But, yeah, it, it's just the, the word has the effect of either driving you to, uh, I mean, there's a cause and effect. And people hate, I mean, they either hate the word or they love it. And I think Paul, right, Paul, you would characterize Paul as, as while, well, you know, compassionate, he's bold. And I think... You know, we would probably also say that when he gets in front of a crowd, I imagine that whatever, you know, even some of those letters he talks about not being a great orator, kind of shrinking back, that he is bold in his speech. But I also feel like crowds probably stir him up a little bit more. And that's why we see it's important for him to, to, to be with a, a ministry group. And we'll see that in a second, And uh, although we're going to have to stop as far as time. Um, so we won't get to Athens, but that's, that's where he's going to head. And he's going to be by himself, and he's going to be waiting and wanting Paul and Silas and Timothy to come be with him. But he just can't help it. He just can't help it. Um, and so we'll talk about that. But I think, you know, he's, he's understanding how, one, it's dangerous for him to just be by himself. Because he's already been grabbed by crowds and thrown before magistrates. Like, to have witnesses, to have people supporting you, if it's just one person solo in a big city, uh, a lot could go wrong. And so, so he's, he's, he's understanding that. But also, in, in front of crowds, he needs other people to say, like, all right, Paul, time to, time to, time to move on. We'll, we'll minister to the people here. Um, we'll meet up with you when we get to Athens. And so that's where Paul goes. Um, he says he goes to Athens by the sea. It's kind of some disagreement as far as, like, did he actually sail by a boat? Um, or did he take a route that was uh, towards the sea because Berea is inland, so you had to go back to go south? They've gotten off the Ignatian Way. Um, I don't, we don't know why. If he would continue that path, he would have gone to Rome. But at some point he decided, you know, when he left, and it might have just been out of haste, like, all right, you need to get out because, again, the, the crowd is being stirred up. Go, go south. Maybe he had in his mind he's going to Athens anyway, um, and we'll talk about what Athens was and uh, what it looked like, but it was far. It was a couple hundred miles from Berea. Why do you think he went that far? Yeah, yeah. Whether, whether, again, he had, like, let's go all the way to Athens, but it doesn't say anywhere that he stopped along the way, but to go that far, because so far it's kind of like 50 miles, 50 miles, and that was a pattern earlier, but to go that far might be for, might be, to get far enough away from the Thessalonians because things were going good in Berea and then they came and stopped it. And when he was in, you know, uh, Antioch, Pisidia, they chased him to Iconium, they chased him to Lustra, and so they kept pursuing them in other places that he's like, you know what, I, I think we need to keep going a little bit further um, and we'll just wait it out and then when Silas and Timothy come to me, then uh, we'll pick it up after that. So what are some takeaways, you know, uh, from this is um, whoever you share the scripture with, encourage them, not only like when we share the gospel, encourage them to say like, don't take my word for it. I want you to, to see if these things are true. And I think that's an important kind of uh, 
you know, emphasis to have is because some people think, you know, well, why should I believe you? They shouldn't believe you, right? But they should believe God, and what God says is just going to be confirmed. You know, I'm just, I'm just repeating what God says, and you can search that, you can read it out, and you can let God's Word do its work in those people's hearts as you share the gospel with them. So, uh, anyway, I want to be sensitive to time. Uh, any closing thoughts or comments? So next week we'll pick it up and we get to get to Athens. Um, there's a lot to kind of talk about. I mean, in world history, it's a big, big place to go. Athens, Greece, uh, we'll kind of touch on some of that, but also uh, some ideas that are, are propagated there and how it relates to our culture.